Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, just a few words before we get started. I want to talk about my new book, All in the Same Boat. As you know, pre-orders open on March 15th, and we will continue to take pre-orders until May 15th. And so far, we've sold books all over the country. And in fact, we've sold to uh, a bunch of other countries as well. We've sold books into Australia, New Zealand, India. Let's see, we had the UK, Canada, uh, and even Russia. We sold one book into Moscow, which was pretty wild. I had no idea that would happen. So I'm pretty excited about the book launch, and so I encourage everyone to uh, to get a copy of this book. Uh, pre-orders will be open until May 15th, as May 15th, as I said. And um, you know, as I mentioned last week, we're doing something completely different for this book launch. Anyone who orders the book during the pre-order period gets the signed copy of the book plus they will be entered into a drawing for some amazing giveaways. As I mentioned, uh, we have 80 prizes we're given out, and the grand prize is this amazing, beautiful, hand-carved, custom American wooden flag from the Sasquatch Flag Company. This thing's beautiful, and um, it's a really nice gift. So whoever wins the grand prize is going to get this flag, something you can put up in your office, uh, put it in your bedroom. It's pretty nice. Uh, very high-end. Uh, the other thing we're going to be giving away, we've got a bunch of other prizes. We've got coffee from the Bottom Gun Coffee Company, coffee mugs from the Code of Vets, bourbon glasses from Sailors and Sticks. We have uh, challenge coins that are actually bottle openers from our friends at Test Depth. And then we're going to be giving out other books as well. We have five copies of The Uncomplicated Coach by Neil Woodson and 50 copies of The Coach Approach by John Brubaker. So these prizes are only available for those who order a book during the pre-order period. Now, everyone that purchases a book, every book you purchase will increase your chance at winning. So every book that you buy will give you one name in the hat for the drawing. And we're going to do a live drawing. We're probably going to do it on live Instagram or live Facebook or something. You you guys know I'm old, so I'll have to figure this thing out. But um, we're going to do it live, and we'll be drawing names. You don't have to be present to win, but um, whoever wins, we're going to send out your uh, your gift, your prize uh, for what you win. So and uh, so I really encourage you to order the book before May 15th to take advantage of this special offer. Who knows, you might get this gorgeous hand-carved American flag uh, for being a winner. So uh, so I encourage you to pause this podcast and go to allinthesameboatbook.com to pick up your copy today. And thank you again for supporting this book, book launch. I'm uh, really encouraged by what I'm seeing. I've put a lot of uh, effort into this book. I really think that you're going to like it, and I really believe it'll be the most interesting leadership book that will be rolled out in 2021. So I encourage you to pick it up. And again, I want to thank you for supporting this show as well. And, you know, if you're looking for how can I support this show, obviously you can like it, you can share it, you can tell your friends about it. That's always helpful. But you can also go to my sponsors, BottomGunCoffee.com and IHaveTheWatch.com. Both of these uh, websites use the discount code DEEP at checkout, and you will get a discount on your offer, and it helps us keep this show running. Well, that's it. So today my guest is someone very special. It's Jeffrey Hull. Jeffrey has been an executive coach and organizational psychologist for more than 20 years. He thinks of himself more as an organizational anthropologist, someone who looks for patterns and shifts in the workplace. Now, lately he's seen a major shift in what is needed in company leadership. You know, the days of having this, uh, you know, a, a, a strong guy in the corner office who was a stoic and quiet uh, has changed. The people that are in leadership positions are not the people that were in leadership 
uh, positions 30 years ago. Uh, it's much more diverse, uh, and there's a much more need for these leaders to be to, to connect with people and to be more relatable. And if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know I truly believe in this. He's got a new book out called Flex, The Art and Science of Leadership in a Changing World, which I find fascinating. And, you know, the role of leaders is changing, and Jeffrey is really helping us understand that change. So this is a powerful interview. So let's get into it. Are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Jeffrey Hull. Jeffrey is Director of Education and Business Development at the Institute of Coaching. He is also a clinical instructor in psychology at Harvard Medical School and an adjunct professor of leadership at New York University. Jeffrey is an author, educator, and consultant with over 20 years of experience coaching C-suite executives. His new book, Flex, The Art and Science of Leadership in a Changing World, helps leaders understand the fundamental shifts happening in the workplace and how to effectively lead in this new world. I'm honored to have him on the show and talk about this important topic. So, Jeffrey, welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's great to have you on the show. And, you know, in terms of introductions, it's probably one of the longest. And uh, <laughs> so I wanted to give you a chance. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved in this uh, crazy area of uh, teaching, which is leadership. How did you get involved in the whole leadership side of uh, psychology, if you will? Yeah, that's always an interesting question <laughs> when you look back at how you wound up doing what you do, right? Right. Um, but I, if I'm going to be perfectly candid, which I like to be, I, I think it's a result of a little bit of luck, um, a little bit of waywardness, you know, sort of trying to find my way like the rest of us, and then a little bit of failure. Mm -hmm. um, and starting with the failure first, I mean, basically, I was fortunate enough to be a human resource uh, manager uh, early in my career, worked in software company and in a large hotel company, and then ultimately at a very big consulting firm. And long story short, short I had a very difficult boss, um, something that many of us have experienced <laughs> throughout yes. our careers. And us being the head of HR, you know, I was now promoted director of human resources. I decided that I was going to fix this person. So my first foray into coaching was to try to coach someone who didn't really want to be coached. Uh, yes. Uh, and they coached me right out the door. So, uh, you know, it was out of the learning from that experience that you can't necessarily fix someone. Um, and you can't necessarily coach someone who doesn't want to be coached. And that set me on a journey of learning. Um, leading me to go back to school to learn about the psychology of human relations and human psychology, um, to get a PhD in clinical psychology, to ultimately become an executive coach and to do wow. the teaching and the writing that we're all talking about today. So, yeah, it was really from that experience of recognizing that, number one, it helps to have some skills 
Mm. you're going to get into that space. And number two, you can't fix other people. You can right. only work on you can only work on yourself. Interesting, interesting. Well, we're going to talk about more about that uh, because right. I think there's a lot of change that needs to happen in leadership. So it'll be interesting to hear how we how we get people to change when they don't want to change. So that's going to be interesting. So let, just let's you know, as far as being an executive coach, what are the type of companies or executives that seek you out, and what are they trying to do when they when they you know bring you into an organization? What's the main thing they're trying to do? Wow, it's all well, it tends to be all over the map. Um, you know, there are those situations where we have senior executives um, in a wide range of industries that have uh, new senior leaders, people people that are stepping up mm. to senior level roles, maybe a global role or a multifunctional role that they've never had before. And so the company supports them to get training and leadership coaching, which I think um, is becoming quite common. So there's that kind of situation. Then there's uh, many of my clients are doing succession planning. Mm. You know, they are the top dog and they're planning to build a team and they're looking to build out their capabilities. So they bring in someone like myself to work with the team, to work, to identify the highest potential folks, mm. to work with the next generation of leaders. And then there are entrepreneurials. Uh, I work with a lot of startup companies mm. that are looking to build a culture, growing quickly, uh, hiring young people, trying to figure out what kind of culture they want to have. Mm. Yeah. And so they want to get an early start in terms of building the values and the environment that they need to be successful. And there's some really forward-thinking CEOs that may have had a coach or can see the value of bringing in someone to work with them. Nice. So it's a range. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. I think um, going from 22 years in corporate America, where, like you said, it was more of the succession planning to now being a CEO of a startup, it's much more of a culture building versus, you know, versus that succession planning. You know, my team is a lot smaller, you know, than it used to be. But, you know, we have to be very tight and we have to have a good bond and we have to have good goals and a mission and, you know, and kind of how do we operate as a, as a team is really important to, to me as a, as a founder of a new company. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So you, I was looking at your bio and one of the things you said is uh, that you are a organizational anthropologist. I like that term because I've never seen it before. What, what do you think? What does that mean? What do you mean by that? Um, what I mean by it is uh, another way of putting it is uh, being an organizational detective, mm, I think. I like uh, I, what I love about anthropologists is that maybe I would have wanted to be one in another life, <laughs> is that they look underneath the surface. Mm. They look for the signals and the myths and the stories and the things that are not as visible. They look for symbols. Um, I studied Jungian psychology, and they look that's really focused on archetypes and patterning right mm. and, and more of the sort of ecosystem of the organization and when i go into work with an individual even if it's a single leader in a coach dynamic i will often look beyond just what's going on with that person to the system that they're involved in mm, so what are the norms what are the energies of the place what are the way we do things around here and how are they impacting whether or not people are highly productive high-performing, creative, innovative, or unfortunately, is it toxic? You know, mm. are some of the things that are being shared behind the scenes actually hurting the sense of psychological safety that people need to operate at their best? 
And that's sometimes harsh, hard for the leaders I work with to uh, grapple with, but it, it can make a huge difference when they become aware of what's going on behind the scenes or what they're doing to perpetuate mm. some of those negative things. So that's what I mean by anthropologists, like looking, diving and look below the surface. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I think probably I wouldn't describe myself as that, but I always I always seem to be talking with people that have had bad bosses or bad experience with bosses. And I'm always interested in in, you know, one, you know, that why why a boss would do that. And 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 usually it's somebody that's left a company because of a bad boss. And I get to hear those discussions. And, and I always think to myself, how how was there no self-awareness by that leader that they were they were chasing away their best people to other organizations, to their competitors and what have you? And it's and um you know, I think that's probably why I probably gravitated into the leadership businesses. I wanted to try to, you know, make people a little bit more aware of some of the, you know, downfalls of of being, you know, kind of a top down bureaucratic uh, micromanager type individual because you're you're chasing away talent, which is your greatest asset, and uh, and that which is really sad to see. Absolutely, no, that's exactly right. That's probably why I ultimately became a coach. Mm. was because I felt the pain of working with a very difficult, very unaware um, series of leaders. And I wanted to do everything I could with my passion, my creativity, and my heart to try to create a world where most of the leaders or all of the leaders ultimately were in service of the best Mm. of the folks that they worked with, the people that they led. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that sometimes it's the painful experiences that actually are the impetus for us to um, follow a path to change things. Absolutely. So um, let's talk about the book. Okay. It's called flex the art and science of leadership in a changing world. And I, I really, I really like what I've seen so far about it. And so tell us a little bit about why it's so important that leaders see the shift that's happening in not just the demographics, but the structure and all the the ways we're connected. Why do you think it's so important that leaders need to understand the changes that are happening so they can lead more effectively going forward? Well, I think it's an extension of what we were just talking about, which is that the tried and true sort of archetype of leadership, which is the hero, you know, that Mm. rides in on the golden steed and takes (laughs) over and sort of charge the hill, right? Right, right. I've I've got all the answers. I'm the best looking guy in the room. You know, and I'm usually a white man, you know, all of that. I mean, all of that is no longer going to work in a world that's so complex, so interwoven, so multicultural, so global, and in so need of complex solutions, Mm. right? So the level of innovation and creativity that we need to solve some of our thorniest problems in organizations these days and beyond organizations, in society, is going to require creativity from all of us. Hmm. And so the idea that there's just a few people, you know, I remember when I first started out in HR, we used to sit around a table, and it's quite a few years ago, and we used to say things like, so who has leadership potential? Well, there's hmm. a few people out of the three or 4,000 consultants we have, there might be 10 or 20 that have some leadership. And I, I look back on that and I think, what were we doing? Every right. single person in the organization had leadership potential. We just yes. had to figure out how to unleash that potential and also to teach them that they had ways of leading that were not necessarily following that typical, what I call the alpha archetype. Now, listen, you know, people will say to you, say to me, are you against the alphas? And I'm like, no, if you're a, if you want to go under a surgery and uh, come out alive, 
you better hope that the surgeon is an alpha, right? They better right. know what they're doing and be directive. If you want to get on that airplane, I love pilots that are alpha because they get us from one place to another. <laughs> yes. So I'm not against alpha um, authoritative leadership, but it's just not the only game in town anymore. And that's what I really wanted. I noticed happening in my practice and I wanted to research it and write about it is that there's just a whole plethora of ways of leading that can be effective in today's world. And that includes the kinds of things that we might not have thought about as leadership qualities in the past. Mm. For example, quiet, uh, introverted, collaborative, consensus driven, mm. leading by following, mm. like leading by letting others lead and being in the background. Oh, that's leadership. Yes, that's a new kind of leadership. Mm. So there's a whole range that I wanted to explore in this book and basically I, I did a survey of many, many coaches that I worked with at the Institute of Coaching at Harvard, and I discovered that I wasn't the only one that was starting to work with a whole range of people that were much more varied in their leadership styles than we had seen maybe 10 years ago. Mm. Multicultural, people of color, people, women, mm. many, many more mm. women. And, and it's not just women becoming leaders. It's women becoming leaders in ways that they hadn't in the past. Mm. Like now, when that. I was in the consulting industry, there were, there were female leaders, <clears throat> but they were almost always very authoritative, driven. Mm. You know, they, in fact, they had to be more authoritative than the men because they were women and they were in such a minority. And so this is a fundamental change that now you have female leaders that can be, embody a whole different way of showing up and be effective mm. and be respected in their leadership. And so those are the kinds of things that I really wanted to dig into with this book. It makes me think back to one of the first times I ever saw this in, in writing was Jim Collins and Good to Great. And he talked about the level five leader. And that was the first time I'd ever saw a different archetype from the leaders, you know, the Jack Welsh top down, you call them alpha, but, you know, very, very, you know, charismatic, uh, larger than life, you know, have all the answers, tells everybody what to do. And then Jim Collins came around and said, you know what, that archetype doesn't work. And here's and here's proof at how another archetype is actually more effective, one that puts the people and the business and the goals ahead of themselves. And they are almost in the background. And it was the first time I'd ever saw that and went, wait a second. This, this archetype that I actually embrace is actually more effective than the, the top-down <laughs> bureaucratic, you know, uh, command and control structure that I've been told all my life was, right. was the right way to do it. Uh, and it, it actually helped me as a leader when I read that book to say that, well, maybe what I'm doing is okay. Maybe what I'm doing is actually maybe better. And, um, and I think it, I found myself, cause I, you know, that book came out a long time ago. I found myself in conflict with, I was still working in a corporation where, they were looking for the archetype. And so I was the kind of the opposite of that archetype. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, so it's really interesting. So here we are now in 2021, having the same discussion uh, that maybe the way to lead isn't the way we think it has been for years. Well, I wouldn't say it's not the way it's more. It's, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a plus, it's not a, either or conversation. That's really what I wanted to point to in my book is that there's room for authoritative, right. directive leaders, but that's, the, that's just not the only game in town. Right. And, right. The, and t the reason that this is so crucial today is because in our world now that's flatter and more interconnected, that the technologies that have us all being much more aware of what's going on in, all around the world 
is such an opportunity for us to be creative and to solve the complex problems that mm. we have. And yet that traditional archetype limits the problem solving to sort of just the top layer of the organization, right? Just the few, what they call the C-suite. Mm. And that's just no longer going to cut it. We need the creativity and the innovation and the ideas from everyone in the organization. And that requires a willingness to be more flexible, which is the mm. theme of my book, basically, that the leadership capabilities that can bubble up from throughout an organization can look a whole range of different ways. And the more we harness that, the more we unleash that, the more we support and nurture that, the more we're going to get the creativity that we need to solve the kinds of problems we have in today's mm. world. Interesting. You know, I think um, one of the things I like to say is when I was a young leader and I, I got my first manufacturing plant at 32 years old and um, I was very intimidated because I thought I had to have all the answers, right? Because I thought that was what a leader, you know, had to be. But now, but now, you know, I've been doing this for a long time now. And what I've realized now, the, the older I've gotten is I realized that I don't necessarily have to have all the right answers, but I do have to have the right questions. And I have to be able to engage a team and bring out the creativity of a team and the ideas of a team. And some of the toughest problems that I've ever solved as a leader has been an idea that came from somebody other than me. It was an idea that came from a brainstorming session or, a, you know, what do you think we should do? And just having a conversation and finding that one little nugget of truth that right. just opened up a window of how we can solve a problem that it's been, it existed for a long period of time. It didn't come from me. It came from somebody. And, and typically I, I always say it's always the quietest person in the room. It seems like that has been thinking about it versus talking about it. And uh, I love to, when I can capture that idea from the quietest person in the room, it's usually a gem. It's usually something that, you know, it's exactly what we need at the time. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the, so if there's any silver lining to this disruption called the pandemic that we've been going through and the virtual work that we're all experiencing and just this general sense of disruption, um, and I don't want to take away anything from the anxiety and the pain that has been caused and obviously the loss of so many unfortunate uh, people that have been sick and passed away, but in that same vein, you know, what I wrote about in the book that came out literally just as the last yeah. year just yeah. was hitting was the, the idea that leaders that are more empathic, as you're pointing to, more willing to listen, ask big questions and allow their team to express ideas and even be a little more vulnerable, be more human rather than hierarchical and command and control those are the kinds of leaders that will create what's called the psychological safe space to tap into the creativity in the quiet ones, in the mavericks, in the folks that might kind of hide out in the back with a great mm. idea, but be scared to share it. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Is your boss a jerk? I understand you're in the hospital, but I'm going to need you to come in today. Do they lack any ability to actually lead people? Oh, it's fine. I'll, I'll just find somebody else that can do it, okay? John is offering a new service just for you. For only $10, he will anonymously mail a copy of his best-selling book, I Have the Watch, to your boss with a personal note. Go to IHaveTheWatch.com and enter the discount code BOSS at checkout. 
Deep Leadership is brought to you by my friends at the Bottom Gun Coffee Company. Bottom Gun is owned and operated by U.S. submarine veterans, and no one knows coffee better than the men and women who serve long hours keeping watch under the sea. Bottom Gun Coffee Company has a variety of coffee blends designed to keep you moving. From Ahab's Revenge Extremely Strong Coffee to their morning blend, Bottom Gun purchases only premium certified organic coffee beans from all over the world to create the finest tasting coffee you will ever experience. It's what I drink every day. Bottom Gun is offering a discount to the listeners of Deep Leadership. Go to BottomGunCoffeeCompany.com and enter the discount code DEEP at checkout. Bottom Gun Coffee, the taste that's qualified. Finding, or I'm finding in the, as a silver lining of this disruption is some of the, the leaders have had to let down their hair because they didn't have all the answers. All of a sudden mm, they were, it yeah. was on his, you know, I have clients that are like, oh, I just did my 15th Zoom call and Jeff, half the people didn't turn on their videos. What do I do? I'm like, right, right. Do I, do I force them to turn on their video? I'm like, yeah, good luck with that. But next <laughs> time you do one, they'll all turn off their videos. It's like, right why don't you try sharing the possibility that you're lost? Mm. You don't have the answers. Mm. That you miss them. That, yeah. you're wonder- that you're wondering what they're thinking. Ask them to come out of their shell. Tell them it would make you feel really connected to see their face on the video. Yeah. I had, I've had a couple of leaders say to me, you really want me to say things like that? I'm like, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Mean, w- what would you say to your own child if they wouldn't turn on the video? Yeah. Ah, you know, it's like the level of, of vulnerability and humanity. And, you know, like you said before we did the, this call that your dog barks or my cat, yeah, it's like all of a sudden we have to be real with each other. Right. This right. is a good, this is a good. It's thing. a very good thing. <laughs> We're getting to see inside of people's houses too. You know, I was thinking about this as, as a leader, you know, we had a few, you know, Zoom meetings in the beginning once this thing hit. And I'm seeing the inside of all my employees' houses, you know, as we're having a dialogue. So, you know, it's it's that's not normal. I normally wouldn't go into my employees' houses, but now I'm seeing, oh, what room is that? You know, or yeah. and and the cat and the children and the and the and the wife or the the husband and and they're all part of it. And um, yeah, I think. I think now, and they see it with me too. So it's, I'm real, you know, I'm a real person, you know, they're a real person. It's about, I've always thought that leadership is about having a relationship. It's just like you have with your, your spouse or your children, you know, your friends, right. You have a relationship with you. You, you see them at work and say, you know, how's your dad? I heard he was in the hospital. How's he doing? I mean, that's just a normal conversation that you'd have with a friend and just have a relationship. And it's not necessarily about, um, doing it to try to get people to do the right thing, but it's doing it because you're human and you're, you're, you want to interact with them and show that you are a person you care, you know, and that, right. and I think they won't, I think I would want to work for a boss that, that cares about me as a person. Right. And, and I'm likely going to do more for that person because they, they do care. And I think that that's something that, um, I don't know, many, many leaders don't recognize the the importance of that. Well, it's interesting because that's another reason why I wanted to write the book, which is that the, the next generation, you know, the millennials and the X, uh, the uh, Zs, yes. generation Zs, you know, they really do want to work in an environment that is human connected, 
that there's feedback, coaching, meaning. They want to do something with the, which makes a difference in life. Mm, yes. And this can be challenging for baby boomers mm. who are, were brought up like myself, one of more hierarchical seniority-based system that's more about like, what is the name of your title? And what is the the office that you hide out in? And how yes. big, right? Yes. And, and you wait till you work up your resume a little bit before I'm going to open myself up to you. Like that's that's not taking advantage of the talent that's out there. Yeah. And so that's another one of the themes that I wanted to dig into in my book, which is that if we're really going to harness the talent of the next generation, we have to be willing to step back and look and empower them to have a voice, bring their creative spirit to the job and to encourage leaders, the boomers, the Xers to get comfortable with coaching to get comfortable with mentoring and empowerment. Because at the end of the day, what you want, to your point earlier, is you want everyone on your team to bring their full self to the problems mm-hmm. that they're solving, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So don't get stuck up on like hierarchical, you know, limitations. Um, and and when you were mentioning how, you, you know, these Zoom calls allow us sort of the window into someone's life, that's what I was talking about earlier about being an organizational anthropologist. It's like mm. looking sort of a little bit behind the curtain. Yeah. Who is, yeah. who is the human being that you're working with? That's how you create safety and connection. And probably more important than anything else, as, as you would know, having been in the military and worked in really difficult situations that I know you've written about, you have to have trust. Yeah. Yeah. Trust is key. But trust doesn't come from hierarchy. Trust comes from respect and connection and loyalty and and knowing that the person is real, that they're not giving you BS, right? Mm -hmm. And so pulling back the curtain and knowing them a little more human, whether you're the leader or or the follower, is actually one of the ways to create that bond. Mm. And so I think it's actually a good thing. I hope it will continue, whether we all get back into the office or not. But, uh, or whatever, it's looking more and more like it'll be some sort of hybrid variation. I think so. I think so. But whatever way unfolds, you know, post-pandemic, I hope that we will all learn, and leaders in particular will learn, that, you know, being more human and allowing yourself to be a little more vulnerable and connected on a human level with your people is actually going to help create the environment for innovation to get the Mm. best out of the next generation. Cause that's really what they look for. They're going to look for you to do that. Yeah. Interesting. The, the, so you, you know, you're, you touched on something, which I think is important. Um, You talk about vulnerability and relatability, those two topics. And those are not um, characteristics that were of leaders in the past, but I think, I think now more and more, it needs to be, something that we exhibit as leaders, right? And vulnerability isn't necessarily that you don't have all, is that you, that you don't know what you're doing. It's that you don't have all the answers, right? Having that, having that, uh, being able to step back and say, and, and this is interesting. When I was giving a lot of speeches during the beginning of pandemic and I said, it's okay as a leader to say, I don't know. Like what's going to happen? When are we, we going to get back in the office? Honestly, I don't know is a good answer, right? Just, and that's about, about, you know, admitting that you actually don't have all the answers and that you, that you're, you're giving them your most honest and trustworthy answer, but you know, it's not complete. And saying, I don't know is actually a, 
is it's part of that vulnerability, right? To say that I just don't know what's going to happen next, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But I would, I will take you one step further. Okay. And I would say that it's not just a good thing to say, I don't know. It's actually the key to your success. Mm. Because the sentence that comes after, I don't know, is let's figure it out together. Yes. Yeah. If you don't, if you start with, I don't know, you could then go into, but I'll get back to you when I do know. Right. 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 And that's a bit of the old archetype. Right. Like, hold on. Next week, I'll know. I'll go and I'll figure <laughs> it out and I'll come back. I'll go. I'll talk to my coach and my coach right. will tell me. Right. I'll come back. So, so, so the starting point of I don't know is really powerful to your point, but it's the beginning of a whole new way of operating as a leader, which is I don't know, but I bet we together can create the solution mm. to solve the dilemma that we're facing. Yeah. And that engenders a whole different energy. I was on a um, webcast yesterday with a new leader, a younger leader who was, you know, in a Q&A. And she said, I'm, I'm stepping up into a leadership role and I want people to respect me as a leader. Mm. Dr. Hull, what do I do to make people <laughs> take, take me seriously? And I'm, I'm thinking, well, first of all, you don't have to call me Dr. Hull. And I get that. But she was in a way, by, I, the reason I shared that is because she's in a way doing exactly what she's worried about, right? She's saying, well, you have lots of credibility because you're a doctor, but right. I'm a new leader. What do I do to get credibility? And my answer for her was to relax and to yes. stop worrying about her credibility and just support the people that she's now being asked to lead. Mm. Ask yourself, what do those people need to be successful? How can we take the I out of it and put the we into it? And she said, you mean I don't have to do anything special to be the boss and get their respect? And I said, yeah. no. In fact, don't do anything special to get their respect. Get their respect by showing up as their biggest champion. Mm. Be their supporter. Be their booster. Be the person that helps them get where they want to go. Make it about them, not about you. And if you do that for one week, two weeks, three weeks, two months, two years, guess what? You're going to wake up being called doctor or whatever. You know, I mean, you're going to wake up with the credibility that you're seeking. Mm. It will just happen naturally. I love that. I love that. I think it's, uh, I, had a, I was giving a speech once and I had a student asked me, um, how do I know if I'm a good leader? Yeah. And I said, well, when you walk up to a group of your employees, do they stop talking <laughs> or go. do they bring you in and say, Hey, we were just talking about X or do they just go silent? And, and you know, you've, you're not doing your job well when they go silent and they're like, uh oh, the boss is here, right? In, in other words, it's not a we, it's an I, right? It's a, the leader is off on their own and they're not part of the group or they don't feel like they're part of the team. As part of what I re- wrote in my new book is all in the same boat is that no matter what, we're all in it together. It doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter where you're at in, in the hierarchy of the company. You're, we're all in it together. And I think that, uh, you know, my experience, you know, coming from, you know, being a submarine officer was very unique. We physically were in it all together. And, <laughs> and if one, if one person didn't do their job, we were, we were all vulnerable, right? We had to, we had a shared vulnerability, right? And accountability. We had to, we had to work together to be able to, to do what we, you know, just to survive and get home to our families, to carry out the mission and, and get home. And, 
but it's like this, it's the same thing in companies today. It's just that we, we're not in that physical environment, but it's the same thing. If we want to do our mission and we want to get home to our families safely, we got to be in it together. We have to be operating together. Yeah. I mean, what I, and I shared this with you before, what I love about this metaphor is that we are all on this planet together. Mm. And in many ways, the planet is also like a submarine because if we do not work together, the planet will not survive. And we're beginning to recognize that. So it's not that much different, right? We really all have to work together as a community, you know, in order to sustain the submarine called Earth that we're on. (laughs) Yeah, there's no backup plan. There's no no place else to go. I love it. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. So how do, you know, if if you're looking at these big companies that maybe are run by older leaders, more, you know, older, you know, the, the baby boomers or even the next generation coming down that are leading these companies, how do they how do they recognize the future leaders, right? If the future leaders are not these um, alpha, you know, archetypes, and they're not the the, the obvious ones that uh, were in the past, right? How do they identify the people in the organization that have that leadership potential, that have the ability to take on more and more responsibilities and to have larger and larger teams? How do they find those? Um, people that have those right characteristics for the leadership that we need in the new world? That's a really, really good question. And I think that um, it's, it's a complex dynamic, but I would say there are two key elements that are crucial on the starting journey to success. Number one is to recognize the assumption that you're making when you say, how do we find the few people in the organization that have the potential to lead? you're starting with the assumption that there's only a few or that Mm. there's a subset or that they're special or that there's a particular demographic. I would say that's a false assumption and that the first step that the traditionalists or the baby boomers need to have a sort of a breakthrough around is changing the narrative and starting from a new narrative, which is how do we recognize the leadership potential in every single person in our organization? Mm. How do we nurture everyone to be a leader? Which is really quite a different journey than let's look at the subset of high potentials. Mm. So that's number one. And then number two is as boomers or traditionalists or the more senior leaders, what is your role Is your role to just identify the next generation of leaders or is your role also to nurture Mm, and to empower and to coach? I would say the one of the most common things that I'm doing in my practice these days is helping other leaders become coaches, Mm. recognizing that coaching is an incredibly invaluable skill that there's good evidence-based science now research to show what works when you're coaching people to motivate them, to get them focused on their strengths, to get them to expand their capabilities and to bring out their leadership or their creative potential. Mm. So the role for the senior people is to recognize that they still have learning to do. They need to learn to become good coaches, good mentors to empower So, you know, I was in a a C-suite group with a huge global bank not too long ago. And, um, you know, they were sitting, this was just before the pandemic, we're sitting around the table talking about this new level of leadership and the next generation. And I was talking about the beta leader and 
one of the older white guys who's very senior with this international bank basically stood up and said, oh, so I should just jump out the window because you don't need me anymore. Right? <laughs> like, you should just put me out to pasture. And I, here we are on the 60th floor of a building. Right. And I'm like, no, 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 don't, don't, don't jump out any windows, please. But here's what I am trying to, to have you see, which is that your role is super important, but it's not about finding young people like yourself to replace you although there may be some, but it's, it's about taking the wisdom and the knowledge and the experience that you have mm. and imparting that in incredibly supportive ways to the next generation. And all of a sudden he kind of lit up and he said, oh, you mean I can really add something to the next generation of leaders? I said, not only can you add something, I said, you, you are crucial to the next generation of leaders. Yeah, yeah. But don't necessarily look for them to be just like you be open to the possibility yeah. that they may come in different stripes and colors and styles. And so, yeah. And, you know, he was still a little uncomfortable with the whole <laughs> idea. <laughs> but it was a step in the right direction. And he didn't well, jump out the way. That's good. That's good. I know um, I tell a story in my new book that uh, my first captain was, he was a tough guy. I mean, he very seasoned, been, been in the submarine force for a long time. And, and he was, he was someone I feared you know, we all did. We feared and respected him because of, you know, his rank and, you know, his experience and what have you. But what he did to me was um, he put me, pulled me under his wing and he became my mentor and he taught me and showed me and almost like a father and, and, and didn't need to do that. I was very junior. I mean, there were levels between me and him, but yet he sort of became a mentor in my life. And I became a much better naval officer because he opened the window, he opened the window a little bit into his world and to show me why things are done a certain way and why I should be looking out for this and what not to worry about and what to worry about. And, and that was so powerful. And I'm so thankful I had a, I had a leader like that, that just very senior to me, 20 years senior to me, but yet willing to open up the door a little bit and say, you know, come here, let me show you, let me show you why I do what I do. And 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 what it what why this is very important why this you don't have to worry about this, and uh, to me it was just it was a great part of my life to have a, a mentor like that that someone that um, probably thinks was was trained differently than me and, and and wasn't like me at all but yet took a young person underneath them to and, and kind of coached them up and mentored them and showed them the way and and that was really powerful in my life so. So there's hope for the the senior leaders out there that uh, think, well, where am I going? Where am I going to you know end up in the world? But you know, there's an important part. It's it's helping to bring up the the younger people and and uh, and, and you know and, and I would say too, giving them challenging assignments and uh, and being there supportive on the way. You know, give them authority, right? You know, and and let them let them run things on their own and see how they do. You know, and and yeah. coach them up as to what worked, what didn't work. Where did you fall flat? You know, how can I help you get to the next level? How do I help you finish your task? So, yeah. Yeah. And keeping in mind that no matter where you are in your career, if you want to stay relevant, and I think the idea of sort of putting people out to pasture and retiring if they hmm. love their work is an old fashioned idea anyway. And it's built out of an industrial society, you know, a mechanistic a machine and uh, society that, oh, well, you worked now you're 60, you should be sitting on a beach right, somewhere. Right. I mean, that may be true for some folks, but I think a lot of older folks want to stay engaged. They perhaps love their work. They want to be staying creative. I know I do. 
And some of the more forward-thinking organizations, I wrote about this, uh, an example of this in my book, are actually doing reverse mentoring, Mm. where they set up dynamics with the next generation of leaders, where there's mentoring in both directions. Yeah. And I know, you know, it sounds kind of far-fetched, but this is based on a real case study with a very large insurance company, where the human resource department recognized that some of the senior people didn't really understand social media. They didn't really understand some of the tech savvy, (laughs) you know, Twitter and Facebook and all that. And yet they wanted to go after the younger demographic with some of their insurance programs. So what they did is they created reverse mentoring program where some of the younger tech folks would actually be assigned to mentor some of the senior people that were like 20, 30 years older and also had multiple layers between them. Mm. And it was an experiment that was designed initially just to give those senior folks some exposure to some of these new technologies. Well, you can imagine the punchline. It was not only successful in that, but it also created a dynamic relationship between the senior and the junior folks. Yes. It yes. was so creative, right? Yes. Because they were learning from each other. All of a sudden, these 25-year-olds were like, oh my God, I'm like meeting regularly with the VP of finance and I'm learning so much. I'm going to go get my MBA, blah, blah, blah. Right, right. And then the VP of finance who's in his fifties was like, wow, I didn't know Twitter was that powerful. Like I didn't realize that we can reach thousands of people. So there's so many opportunities when we are willing to shift our story of hierarchy or demographics or style or, you know, all the different stereotypes yeah age experience yeah yeah i love it those are the opportunities that we have for leadership today i think oh it's powerful very powerful well how can people find out more about you and your new book the easiest way is to look me up on uh, jeffreyhull.com and the book flex is available through there or on amazon or wherever else you get books um, if they're interested in the Institute of Coaching at Harvard, which I think is really, really good resource for anyone who wants to learn more about just the whole profession of coaching has just exploded mm. in the last 10 years. It or has. So. Yeah. Um, and it's really a privilege for me to work there. Um, it's something that I sort of it's my passion, I guess I would say. Um, and they have a website called the Institute of And I encourage people to check it out. Okay, very good. We'll put links in the show notes for all these resources. So the book is Flex, The Art and Science of Leadership in a Changing World. And I really encourage everyone to get out there and pick it up, read through it. Things are changing. uh, And we need as leaders, we want to be successful, we need to change as well. We need to embrace this. So uh, uh, Jeffrey, I really appreciate you being on the show and sharing all your experience, your wisdom and, uh, and this new book. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I think uh, you and I are really in simpatico in terms of what you try to share in your new book. And uh, so I'm I'm excited to read it. I haven't had a chance to get through the whole thing, but I love, I just, as I said before, I love the metaphor. I think it says so much about what we need to be doing today in today's world as leaders, bringing everyone together on our small planet um, and hopefully, you know, surviving, thriving, right? Yes. And creating new worlds together. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Well, thanks, Jeffrey. I appreciate you being on the show. My pleasure. Great meeting you. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. 
Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Take care.